welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Eastertide, kind of a strange word, unfamiliar maybe to some of you, but Eastertide is the season that starts on Easter Sunday. So last Sunday morning it began and it continues for 50 days until we celebrate Pentecost Sunday or the coming of the Holy Spirit. And Eastertide is the season of the year where we keep Easter alive by continuing to remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. When you think about it, it makes absolutely zero sense to spend 40 days in the wilderness of Lent and then gather together on Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday for one day and celebrate the glorious good news and hope of Easter And celebrate the fact that everything changed on that day. But to spend 40 days in the wilderness of Lent in just one day celebrating the resurrection, it doesn't really make much sense. And so every Sunday in this season of Eastertide is to be approached like it is Easter Sunday. One of the reasons, the reason, that the Christian church moved its gathering to Sunday instead of the typical Jewish gathering on Saturday is because of the resurrection that happened on Sunday. And so this day all throughout the year is to be a day to celebrate the resurrection. But in particular, every Sunday during this season of Eastertide is to be celebrated with the kind of passion and the kind of hope and the kind of joy that we celebrated Easter Sunday. So like Christians have done throughout the centuries, the next six weeks, we are going to do our best to keep Easter alive by continuing to reflect and celebrate the resurrection of our king and we're going to do this here on Sunday mornings through a series we are calling Defiant Hope. Manuel came up with the title. I absolutely love the title. Defiant Hope. Sometimes it seems to me hope is presented as this kind of passive attitude that some people have or they tend toward and other people eh, they don't have and they tend to be a little more pessimistic. But the next six weeks, what I hope we can do is dispel this rather dull and boring image of hope and paint instead a vibrant picture of hope with all of its brilliant colors. Hope as an act, an attitude of defiance in a cursed, broken, and difficult world. And this defiant hope is because... God is the ultimate power and he is fully in control. And I don't have to tell you how desperately we and our world need hope. But where is this hope going to come from? And what does this hope actually look like? And how does it actually work itself out in the real life situations we all face? This is the stuff of this series. One of the Christian community's most important jobs is to be the primary carrier and deliverer of hope in this desperate and hurting world. One of our jobs as Christ followers and one of our jobs as a local church is to be a carrier and a deliverer of hope in this hurting world. So kind of a silly way to put it, but the Christian community is like the FedEx of hope in this world. We are commissioned by God to carry it and to deliver it to each other and to the world. We just cannot delegate this one. We can't pass this off on some other organization. We can't deal ourselves out of this because we tend to be, well, you know, a bit pessimistic. For 
more than any other people on the planet, when you think about it. Christians are carriers of authentic hope, and we have a responsibility to deliver this hope to the world in a million different ways. So, with that, would you stand for our scripture reading today? I actually love this verse, these verses. They're from Romans chapter 4. Paul is in the middle of this amazing argument he's attempting to make in the book of Romans. And we come to Romans chapter 4 in verse 16. I will begin. It's page 1130. And I will read through verse 25. He says, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that, so that it may be by grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want to jump right in as we talk about hope, think about hope. My job today is to talk about the anatomy of hope, what it looks like, what it doesn't look like, and kind of how it works in the real situations of our lives. So I want to start by just this simple idea that hope is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus. A typical way, it seems to me, we sometimes use the word hope is that we make it synonymous with wish or with wishful thinking. So some of you, and I'm not intending to step on toes here, you know that I don't like doing that, but some of you hope the Kings beat the Warriors in round one of the NBA playoffs. (laughs) Please no interruptions from the crowd. (laughs) So think about this. As confident as you may be that this will happen... Just give me a little grace here. But this hope is probably closer to a wish than a real hope. Not that it can't happen. Hang on. Some wishes come true. But it is uncertain if it will happen. And here's why. It's uncertain because it depends on a variety of basically random factors and events. However good the kings might be, it's just not a certainty that they will beat the Warriors. We might want it to happen really bad. I know a handful of you want want it to happen really bad because I get text messages from you saying that you hope it happens really bad or something like that. We wish it would happen so we can feel good and maybe play the next series. But here's the point. We don't actually have rock-solid confidence 
that it's going to happen because there's just too many unknowns. And here's the point. Christian hope is altogether different than this. Christian hope is the anticipation and the expectation that God will ultimately come through and everything he has promised will eventually happen. And the resurrection was the turning point of this kind of hope. A new world began in the resurrection. God's project of renewing the world took this giant step forward when God demonstrated his supremacy over sin and evil and death. On the day of the resurrection, God made a loud statement for anybody that had, has ears to ear that says the strongest thing that could be thrown at anyone, death, was defeated in the resurrection. See, in the New Testament, hope is often mentioned in the context of the resurrection. It's all over these verses we just read from Romans chapter 4. I shared this verse at Easter. You can see it on the screen. It's 1 Peter 1 and verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, the living hope we now have is because of the resurrection. The cry of the New Testament is, remember the resurrection. Because in the resurrection, God showed his supremacy over every single thing, including death and including all manner of evil. So God took on the toughest opponent in the resurrection, and he won. So Christian hope is forever rooted, based, grounded in the resurrection of Jesus. In the resurrection, we see who God is, how powerful he is. We see his kingdom and his love and his power and his goodness cannot be stopped. His will and his purposes will ultimately occur, whether they occur in this life or in the next. And so the foundation of Christian hope is the unmatched power, love, and goodness of God. In our reading from Romans, and this is what I love about this, Paul is using Abraham as an example of faith and hope. Way back in Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abraham that he was going to eventually be the father of a great nation. Only one problem, Abraham and Sarah were 75 years old and they had that many children. Zero. It's kind of hard to be the father of a great nation if you aren't yet the father of any kids. And the clock was ticking. They're getting old. And after a long wait, where I'm sure plenty was happening, if you know what I mean, there was still no baby. And they started wondering, is this really going to happen? This is the power of this passage. They were wondering back in Genesis, is this going to happen? And then a sequence of events unfolds where... Abraham doubles down and says, I believe God's going to come through. Notice how Paul uses a resurrection theme in Romans 4, what I read a moment ago. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. And here's the phrase, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Abraham's body was as good as dead. Sarah's womb was also dead. But... 
and I'm going to put this in my words, Abraham believed God could resurrect the dead. So his hope in God made sense and was well-placed, even though the circumstances seemed uh, impossible. And we could spend a whole bunch of time going through a whole bunch of verses in the Bible that simply say, God, my hope is in you. Here's a few. They're on the screen. Psalm 62.5. Yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Isaiah 49.23. God is speaking. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Psalm 71.5. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. So defiant hope, as we are exploring in this series, is hope in God, and it is based on his unmatched power, love, and goodness. And all three of these are on display vibrantly in the resurrection. So however chaotic and crazy this world becomes, more specifically, however bleak our marriage may look, or our health situation or our finances, or whatever, we can hope in God because his resurrection proves he's worthy of our hope. And this kind of leads right into the second thing I want to talk about, and that is hope as a dynamic and powerful force that reframes our present circumstances. In Peter's words, we have living hope. So when we talk about defiant hope in this series, we're talking about a kind of hope that is alive and active and kicking in those who are in Jesus Christ. Hope is not an idea. It's not a good feeling. It's not a wishful thinking. And it's not simply optimism about the future. Living hope actually touches and changes our present circumstances. It is a hope that is cultivated by God's spirit and those who have their faith in Jesus. So we have a confident expectation to face whatever it is we have to face. Again, from Romans 4. Against all hope, Abraham had hope, verse 21, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Abraham's hope had direct implications In the direct, actual, concrete circumstances he was facing. God had promised he was going to be the father of a nation. It's a key phrase. God had promised he was going to be the father of a nation, but Abraham hadn't yet fathered a single child. But he had confidence because God had promised and Abraham knew who God was. He went up and down with it, back and forth. I have confidence today, not so much tomorrow, for sure. The Bible records this. But he had confidence because God had promised. So this living hope is not this wispy kind of thing. It's not an ethereal attitude that plasters a smile on our face even when life is hard. That is not hope. Living hope literally reframes the present. It changes The present circumstances. And the present circumstances can be changed because God is powerful, loving, and good. Last October, my son Sam and his wife Lauren were over at our house and we were all sitting in the backyard and they informed us one evening 
that Lauren was pregnant, and I shared this when it happened, so it's not news to most of you. Obviously, when Julie and I heard this, we were thrilled with the good news, and the instant they announced this good news, everything changed. Everything suddenly looked different. And everything was different. I found right away, the next day, I'm reading the news on my phone, and the news was different because a grandchild was coming. Planning for the future was now different. Christmas 2024 for our family was different. And this was three months before Christmas 2023. Everything was instantly different for our family and permanently different. Nothing would ever again be like it was before Lauren got pregnant, even though at the time they announced this good news, Lauren didn't even look pregnant. Now, for the sake of my own neck, I'm not going to go too far into that beyond just saying that. But nothing looked different. And yet everything was different. Really good news has that kind of effect. It can permanently change and reshape things so that even though everything might still look the same, everything is in fact very different. Really bad news can have the same impact, but this is the season of Eastertide, so we're going to choose to camp in the good news, and good news can reshape our present circumstances no matter what they are. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Julie and I and our two daughters were at Sam and Lauren's house, and Lauren is now in her seventh month. And she now looks pregnant. And for the sake of my own neck, I'm not going to go any further into that. And every now and then I've noticed with Lauren, and probably every expectant mother does this, but every now and then when she's sitting there, she'll put her hands on her stomach like this. And at one point that night when we were up at their house, she said, after she did this, she's moving and kicking. And as if a fire alarm went off, Julie and Abby and Izzy jumped up and screeched and ran over. And they all put their hands on Lauren's stomach to feel the new life moving inside of her. It's actually a beautiful thing to watch. And for some reason, the profundity of it really struck me just in this simple phrase. There's something actually alive in Lauren. Her name is Elsie. And Elsie's no longer just a topic of really good news. She's alive and kicking and moving inside of Lauren. And now everyone can see there's something alive in Lauren. She's pregnant, and it's obvious. And on that night a few weeks ago, Julie and Izzy and Abby could actually feel. There's something alive in Lauren. I would suggest to you that hope, in the way the Bible talks about it, is to be like Elsie in those who are Christian. Alive and kicking and moving. A living hope. People can see and feel in us and through us. We are carriers and deliverers of hope in a broken and hurting world. First Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The obvious implication of what Peter is saying here is that the hope we have is going to show itself 
in the way we navigate the various situations of our lives. And the hopeful way we do that catches the attention of those around us who themselves are desperate for hope. The implication is, is that the hope that we have is alive and kicking and moving and it makes its way out in the real circumstances of our lives and it makes a difference in those circumstances and people around us get intrigued. How are you handling this in this way or some version of that? But the big question that I think looms in many of our minds is how does this living hope show itself in those real circumstances of our lives in this broken world? What difference, in other words, does living hope actually make? Well, for starters, it means for the follower of Jesus Christ, there really are no hopeless situations. I realize that might sound ridiculous. When I wrote it, I thought, that's ridiculous. There really are no hopeless situations for the person who is in Jesus Christ. What about pancreatic cancer? Is that hopeless? What about a shattered marriage? What about a debilitating health issue? Romans 4.17, Abraham is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being Things that were not. If you think that the Apostle Paul is trying to blow the roof off of what we think this God is all about, you're right. If you think that the Apostle Paul is trying to stretch us beyond where our rational thinking wants to go when it comes to this relationship with God and how it affects our everyday life, you're right. See, when we say with the psalmist in the face of some tough circumstance, my hope is in you, it is good for us to remember we are putting our hope in a God who, according to Paul, gives life to that which is dead and calls into existence things that a moment earlier did not exist. In other words, he has the power to change what we would call a hopeless situation. I, I just think we got to sit on that for a second. It's one of the things about, I was talking to somebody about this earlier this week, it's one of the things about being in a church, this church, as long as I have, being around for almost three decades, and just you start to know people's stories in their lives, and at any given moment, there are people who are walking around facing some situation and the predominant thought they have is this is hopeless. No idea what to do about it. No idea if anything can be done about it. And I just want to remind us, based on what Paul is trying to say in Romans 4, God has the power to change what we would call a hopeless situation. Here you go. Is there any situation more hopeless than being dead? And yet he gives life to the dead. He raised Jesus from the dead. He raised Abraham and Sarah's dead reproductive powers to life. He parted the waters of the Red Sea. He provided manna in the desert to the wandering Israelites. He gave little David, who's facing big Goliath, the victory. He preserved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace 
and their lives were spared. He broke the chains that were holding Peter and John locked in a prison and he set them free. He turned a bloodthirsty religious zealot named Saul into the apostle Paul. Boom. Right on the road. Turned him around. And on and on we could go. So for the follower of Jesus, every situation can be reframed with our hopes up. Not because of optimism. Not because of a positive mental attitude. Not because we're the little engine that could. Not because I can do this. Every situation can be reframed with our hopes up. Because our hope is in a God who raises things from the dead. And calls things into being that a moment earlier did not exist. No matter how desperate a situation seems. We can face it with living hope that God can change the situation however he chooses to do so. Second Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, the Apostle Paul. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we had received the sentence of death. But this happened... That we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Again, just maybe in the quietness of our own thoughts, we might be going, is he serious? Really? Seems a bit extreme, doesn't it? I mean, does this really happen? Something about this is incredibly intriguing to me. It's kind of putting our faith in action through prayer and then through hope based on who God is that is on display in raising Jesus from the grave. It is leaning on the reality of Jesus' resurrection and asking him to bring life into dead situations. This past Monday, Thursday, the, the week of Easter, we had a service here on Thursday night at 7 o'clock, about 150 people, and every now and then, something happens in a service, and it just absolutely grabs me, holds me, and I can't hardly move. And it happened on that Monday, Thursday service. It was right in here. We came to a time in the service that we called upper room time. And there was a chance to go wash someone's feet. Up here there were uh, kneelers and people could come and pray. Out in the lobby was the labyrinth that Angela had put together at the beginning of Lent. And we just gave people an unhurried, unrushed amount of time to wander around, to minister to each other, wash feet, confess, pray with others, go do the labyrinth, and then eventually come forward and receive communion. And for most of this time, I was just hanging back here, absolutely stunned by what I was seeing. Because in a word, what was happening is people were breathing hope into each other. And God was present in ways that were really hard to miss. There were instances that went on in those few minutes between people, instances that the people who experienced it would say, only God could have done that. And it was one of these things where there's certain situations where there's stalemate, there's this is the way it's always going to be, this isn't ever going to change, and God stepped in and some really powerful things 
happen. It was hope-filled, and God was doing deep and transforming work. And yet, you know, and I know, things don't always work out. This all sounds great, but things don't always work out. Paul set his hope on God that God would continue to deliver him, but eventually Paul was executed by the Romans. So his prayers, his hope, and the prayers and the hopes of the early Christians eventually weren't answered. I mean, this is just reality. You know it, so do I. Living hope does not always result in things going the way we want. And the problem is not, well, we aren't praying hard enough or good enough or hoping enough. The problem is we live in a broken world. So some marriages get prayed for and as much help as possible, and they end. Some health problems we get prayed for, and there's hope, and they don't get fixed. Some financial struggles ruin a family. Here's the point. God does not always fulfill the hopes we have in our present circumstances. And this twists people up. It has for centuries, and it still does. Things don't always work out the way we want. And some of you right now have a particular situation that's in your mind and it didn't work out the way you want it or doesn't look like it's going to. God didn't change the situation or it doesn't look like he's going to. Something bad or unwanted happened or is going to happen. So what does defiant living hope look like in those cases? Because those are the instances, as you well know, when things don't go the way we want, where things can really start to mess with how we see God, think of God, and whether or not we want God. And it's really important to clarify this. So the last thing I want to talk about as it relates to kind of this anatomy of hope is that hope reorients us to the bigger story. And this might be the primary function of hope. This is getting into what we might call graduate level hope. Second Corinthians one, what I read a moment ago, let me read it again. Paul says, we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He's delivered us from a such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again on him. We have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers. Through this suffering, Paul and his friends, he says it this way, were being taught not to rely on themselves, but to rely on God who raises the dead. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. And there's so much in this. But as I mentioned, Paul was eventually executed, which means the hope he and others had in God for deliverance eventually did not manifest itself through a rescue or a healing. So this is the key. God never promised to deliver us through every trial. He never promised to rescue or heal every single time. This is crucial to understanding what hope is and what hope isn't. He never promised to deliver through every single trial. He never promised to rescue or to heal every single time. So we hope and we pray for circumstances to change. Why? Because God is supremely powerful and loving and good, and he can change us and our situations, but he never promised to do this every single time. If we have confidence 
that he can change these things and yet doesn't? Defiant and living hope still has confidence that he is powerful, he is good, he is loving, and someday, maybe in this life, but probably in the next one, all will eventually be well. See, graduate level living hope has confidence in God and in who he is and in all that he is doing, even when our circumstances are not working out like we wanted. Why? Because he has promised to be with us when we walk through dark valleys. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. So, hope that the situation is going to change, it's unsure. Hope for God to be with us through it all, it's guaranteed. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says, We glory in our sufferings because suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And then this beautiful phrase, and hope does not put us to shame. In Romans 8, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And in Romans 8, 28, he writes, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I can't tell you how many times over many, many years this issue has come up in someone's life. And this is the issue that causes people to trip or to stumble or to quit or to give up or to write the whole thing off as kind of a Advil that soothes the pain for a while but isn't ultimately rooted in anything real. This is it. So let me say it again. God does not promise to always fix. He promises to always be with And he promises in the midst of whatever we're dealing with, he promises to always be at work. So living hope, defiant hope, realizes there is this bigger story. And in this bigger story, it is not primarily about us or about what we want. This is so incredibly crucial. So much of our faith journey is about surrendering, picking up our cross, dying to self, as the Gospels put it. This is the bigger story. Defiant hope realizes there's a bigger story, and it's not primarily about us or about what we want. Our desires and our wishes and our hopes, valid as they may be, are not the dominant concern of the bigger story. So living hope is defiant because it is taking me out of the center of my story and putting God and his plan and his purposes into the center of my story. Not my will, but his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, this is when hope starts to really shape us because we start to reorient Around this bigger story. God can heal cancer. Save a marriage. Relieve a physical pain. Resolve inner turmoil. He can do all of that. Because he brings life where there was death. And he makes something where a moment ago there was nothing. So we pray fervently. And we hope 
He intervenes in these circumstances. But God has never promised to come through exactly the way we want on every one of these things every single time. His promise is never to leave us. His promise is to work for our good, even in the midst of the difficult challenges. And here's the thing we can go to the bank on. He will always come through on everything he has promised. So I want to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. I can feel this in this room today. And and again, it could be too many pieces of steak yesterday. Who knows? But I can feel this in this room. That there are people, when you look backward, you see things and you feel things once again that hurt like heck. And you prayed fervently, you prayed diligently, you prayed hopefully, you did the very best you could, you walked with God, and the situation did not end up the way you wanted it to end up. Someday all those pains and tears and trials will be over. And all will be well. But even in the midst of those things that don't turn out the way we want, here is the promise. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear nothing, God, because you are with me. The promises. That even in those times, God was with you. And God was at work in you. In ways that are impossible to fully describe. But he was at work to bring forth good in you. This is the hope we have and we can go to the bank on it. Whether it is a chronic back pain. A difficult relationship. A dream that is not going to be realized. A relationship that is not going to last. Even in those situations. The hope that we have is God is with us. And he's working for his good in us. And we can have 100% confidence and hope. That God is working out his plan and his purposes. Even through those situations that are not turning out the way we want. So Heavenly Father, this requires your Holy Spirit. We cannot muster up the energy to make this true on our own. And so we ask you, not just today, but we ask you as we dig into hope for the next few weeks. To begin to cultivate this higher level and deeper level of hope in us that we will learn to have confidence every inch of our day that you are with us and that nothing from the past 
is wasted because your power works for good even through the pain. We honor you and we worship you and we celebrate you as the resurrected king. You are risen. You are risen indeed. And because you rose from the grave, anything that looks or smells like a grave is doomed by your power. Fire that hope in us. Stir it up in us so it is alive and kicking and moving in us. And when people are around us, they see it. And they feel it. Because it's that real. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.